the care of the family for each other never never is really in doubt. Um, it's clear that everyone uh, cares a great deal, and, and because they care a great deal, they are hurt pretty significantly. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody, to No Script. An unscripted conversation about theater's best scripts. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. And I am Jackson Nikolai. Welcome back, everybody. It's good to be back and talking about another of theater's best scripts this week. That's right. We are back this week from a journey of four weeks that we took in the middle of our season. It's something that we do every season. As longtime listeners will know, we typically spend four episodes kind of in the middle to back half of a season uh, having conversations about plays. And those conversations, we try to have some sort of meta conversation around the play. So sometimes the plays are very related and then that conversation becomes easier. Sometimes the plays don't have much to do with each other, but the context of the theme month arranges them one after the other. I was just listening to Jackson, an episode from, uh, our season five themed month, which is a theme Uh month. I actually had totally forgotten. We did one person shows. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> yeah, no, we've 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 really enjoyed getting to do the different kind of riffs on different themes for themed month. It was a fun one this year, uh, which which we I'm still still to this day as I go to say the name of this themed month. New chats, old scripts. Uh, <laughs> That's it. (laughs) (laughs) We chatted about some of the scripts that we've done before in previous seasons um, and and, uh, with some new perspective on them, whether we've been in them or a new voice has been added to them, a new new scene has been added to one of the plays. So if you uh, want to have a second and haven't, or want to have the chance to hear those and haven't had a second to yet, it's a great chance. You can go back and listen to them and listen to any of the themed months. It's fun to go back and kind of uh, reflect on, on getting to dwell in one theme for a little while. Yeah, I I have loved listening back through some of our theme month episodes from other seasons, but like out of context entirely (laughs) without listening to all four, (laughs) just like pulling one theme month episode has been a fun adventure. This play that we're talking about today to change the subject actually has something similar about it as well, which is that talking about this play, you're kind of inclined to go back and pull one of our earlier episodes just totally out of its season context because of the nature in which this play that we're talking about today and the play from that episode all the way back in season one are related. It's true. So today, as you probably have seen in the title, we are talking about After the Revolution by Amy Herzog. And uh, we discussed 4,000 Miles, which is the play in conversation with this play, kind of a chronologically sequel, but very different. Uh, some of the same characters, but a lot of the characters in After the Revolution aren't in 4,000 Miles. So the plays are are definitely in conversation with each other. Um, but yeah, we're, we're turning to the play before that play, even though we did. 4,000 miles. I think in season one, we, we looked back and season saw that it's, yes. it's been a minute. So, so yeah, it's exciting to kind of come around and do the play before 4,000 miles. No, I agree. I I had not read After the Revolution before bringing it to this podcast. I had known and loved 4,000 Miles for a long time. I think that's just a spectacular little family play. And we had known and loved it long before the podcast. And so we were in season one and we were arranging that first group of scripts to try this idea out. 4,000 Miles just floated to the top of that first group because I knew it. I loved it. You knew it. And so it was a good thing for us to be in conversation about. And now all the way in season nine, we're going back to read the play that kind of inspired 4,000 Miles or or is related, as you say. They're both plays are about the same family. Uh, and as Jackson will describe when we get to the synopsis, it's a family of Marxists, notably, uh, living in America in New York City. And the difference is that both plays are sort of about different branches of the family with the same... Uh, grandmother character Vera and so she appears in both plays and both plays are really about her grandchildren 
uh, and she plays a more prominent role in 4,000 Miles than she plays in After the Revolution. But it was fun to revisit that character. Uh, her, her role in 4,000 Miles is quite significant. And she has, uh, I think, a... Uh, she she plays a lot of significance to the character in After the Revolution to the to the grandchild character in After the Revolution, but not not quite the same stage time certainly. Um, and there's a lot more characters in After the Revolution. It's a much bigger family play. Yeah, yeah. It'll be interesting once we get to the kind of conversation part of it to kind of just reflect a little bit about that. There's only two characters that uh, named characters that echo between the two plays, and one of them is Vera. So it is it is interesting in a play that I agree she has comparatively little stage time to some of the other ones to kind of appreciate the weight of that character um, for for this play, knowing that that she will be one of the one of the ones that follows through to the next one. No, I'm I'm really excited about the conversation. I can't wait to get there. Amy Herzog is a playwright that I just have tremendous respect for and that I love talking about her plays. She writes in this really kind of conversational investigative style that I think is really fascinating. So I'm I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, me as well. Uh, before we jump into the conversation, though, I want to take just a second and say thank you to all of our patrons at patreon.com slash podcast. Thank you all so much for making this show possible. We love getting to talk about scripts. We love getting to talk about theater. We love getting to talk about shows that make it all the way to Broadway and shows that are kind of written and, and performed in regional houses. We love the, the scope of, of plays that we get to talk about. And you patrons at patreon.com slash NoScript podcast make that possible. If you are looking for a way to be a part of the NoScript community, if whether you're a kind of recent joiner to the uh, to the NoScript crew, or if you've been a longtime listener and just looking for another way to interact, Patreon is a great way to do that. We have a number of different tiers of membership over there. You get access to patron-only posts at that $1 a month level, and that $1 a month over the course of a year, $12 over the course of a year, um, helps out the show enormously. And uh, you get things Things like you get access to the scripts ahead of time in themed month and uh, patron only posts over there. So it's a great way to kind of get involved and have conversations around the plays. So uh, if you're looking for a way to help out the show, be a part of the NoScript community a little bit more. Patreon.com slash NoScript podcast is a great way to do that. Thank you to all of our patrons and we will see you over there. And now back to the script. Here we go. Hey, okay, so Amy Herzog is a playwright we've already covered on the podcast, so we won't do a full introduction to her as a playwriting figure. Um, just a sort of brief reminder, since it's been a couple of seasons, well, literally, like, as uh, currently <laughs> at this moment, it's been about as long as No Script's been around. All right, right. Season nine. Uh, uh, Amy Herzog got her MFA at Yale. Obviously, that's a big-time playwriting program. She's a winning award winner. She's a Pulitzer Prize finalist, big player on the American stage. Or one of her more recent plays that you can see some material about, since these plays are a little older now, um, is a play called Belleville. I encourage you to check out some of the stuff about it. It looks pretty incredible. This play was commissioned by the Williamstown Theater Festival. That's a big-time summer theater festival in Massachusetts. Um, its commissioned production was in 2010, but she had, as I understand, sort of worked in workshops with a group of actors on the play for a couple of summers previous. In fact, she sort of describes how in that group of years she started to think about Williamstown Theater Festival as her, and this is her sort of making a quotey joke, uh, as her summer home because she had been there working on this play. And then finally in 2010, that was that, that play that had been workshopped and developed was produced as part of the summer season at Williamstown. It transferred to Playwrights Horizon, big time off-Broadway theater, played there in 2010. It got uh, many, many rave reviews in New York uh, and uh, sort of set her as one of the next great voices. Um, and then big time... Uh, uh, all over the regional stages in, in the country. Um, here's a couple of them. This is by no means a, a full list, just some of the notable ones, and we'd like to say the names of these theaters too because we know that we have listeners from all over the country and one of these theaters might be near you. And so you may be encouraged just to check out their season that's going on currently. Um, so Theater J, which is a theater in D.C., produced it in 2013. Curious Theater Company in Denver produced it in 2013. 
2013. The Chance Theater in Los Angeles produced it in 2015. Uh, in 2017, the Jewish Repertory Theater in Buffalo produced it in 2019. Uh, the Saint, uh, there was a theater in St. Louis that produced a reading of it. And then most recently, the play was in Hamburg, Germany, as part of the Hamburg Players season. Uh, and that was in June 2022, so just this year. Now I'm going to go back in time just a minute to talk about a cool thing that the Baltimore Center Stage did. Obviously, that is a regional theater in Baltimore. They produced After the Revolution and 4,000 Miles, these two plays that are about the same family, in rep in 2015. And so I think it was every week they would do the set change and do the uh, change of the play that they were doing back and forth for a while, the same actor played Vera in both productions. And then uh, obviously there were uh, different actors for the other roles, but I, I think that's a really cool idea. I'd like to see that done somewhere near me and be able to check out both of these plays on their feet, kind of in conversation with each other. After the revolution won a Lillian Hellman award it was named one of the 10 best plays of 2010-2011 season in the annual Best Plays Theater Yearbook. It won a 2011 Lilly Award, and it won, uh, it won Amy Herzog the New York Times Award for Outstanding Playwright in 2012 for the pairing of plays after the revolution and 4,000 Miles. Now, again, this is all about a decade ago that this came out, and so Amy Herzog's had a lot of life and a lot of great stuff happen with her career since then. Encourage you to check her out, read some of her other plays if you haven't already. But that's a sense of the sweep of this play as it has stepped into the American stage and the German stage at the Hamburg Players. <laughs> All right, so I'm just going to take a second and synopsize the script for us just a little bit so we're on a similar page as we begin to engage in conversation, as is our practice. Um, this play, After the Revolution by Amy Herzog, takes place in 1999 in New York and in Boston in May and in June. Now, that is a specific setting and a specific time and place. <laughs> And that is uh, uh, fairly, fairly uh, uh, important in the script. There are a number of lines that grounded in that time frame, including references to Bill Clinton and references to prominent cases during that time. So definitely 1999 in New York and Boston. The uh, Joseph family is meeting to celebrate a pretty uh, uh, important moment in their family life. Uh, one of the granddaughters of that family is graduating from law school. And so a number of them have gathered together, not the whole family, but a significant portion of the family have gathered together to celebrate that. I'm just gonna give you the names of the family that are in this play. Um, the first one that I'll give you is uh, Ben Joseph, who is the father of Emma Joseph, who is the granddaughter of Vera. Um, and Emma Joseph is the one graduating from uh, the, the university. I, I, I don't believe that it specifies exactly which one uh, she's graduating from, but I saw one production that uh, just went ahead and made the decision that it was Columbia. Um, and, uh, and so it's, it's a prominent law school. Um, and, uh, and, and she has just graduated and given a speech there, um, uh, from, from, from that university. There's also Leo Joseph there, um, uh, who is the oldest brother of this family. Um, and, uh, the, uh, the, the grandma Vera is there. It's her apartment that we start the play in, in New York. Um, and then you have, uh, Mel as well. Mel doesn't have a last name, but she is Ben's partner. Um, and she is both, uh, both Ben and Mel are kind of in their late forties. Uh, Leo is 52 and then Vera, the grandma is 82 while Emma is, uh, 26. So you kind of get the, the family of Joseph's there. The other Joseph that I'll mention though, right away at the beginning is Joe Joseph. And Joe Joseph was the grandfather, um, the, the husband to Vera. Vera was Joe's second wife. Um, and, uh, and Joe uh, has passed away a year and a half ago. Um, this family, as, as Jacob mentioned in the, in the introduction, are a part of the, uh, kind of, uh, a communist party, but in America, Joe Joseph was a member of the communist party in America during uh, the McCarthy era, during the Soviet era. Um, and that's going to become important in, in just a moment. Um, so the, the family has met to, uh, celebrate Emma's graduation. They're all gathering together. Emma arrives at the scene eventually and, uh, joins, joins in the, uh, the, the family there. 
It's mentioned there's a lot of characters that kind of are outside of this family but connected to them. Uh, Emma's mother is not there, notably, um, and it's commented on that that she is not present. Um, but but it's also commented on those of the people who uh, who are around her love her quite a bit and are very proud of her. She is running a foundation named after Joe Joseph, um, who is helping to uh, bring attention to and defend the case of Mumia Abu Jamal, which is a, a real life case, which I will briefly sum up here. Uh, very briefly, there's there's plenty of other places to go and find more information about it, but it's uh, a real life case of a, a black man who is a part of the Black Panthers who was accused of killing. Uh, a, a police officer and uh, received uh, a, a very a trial that led to his being sentenced to death. Um, now, in the in the course of this play, Emma and her organization are in the process of of uh, of arguing uh, fairly successfully that this was an unjust trial and in fact tied to McCarthyism and the sort of way that um, uh, the American government uh, approaches people who are against the kind of capitalist regime. Um, and so so she is doing the work of trying to get a, a fair trial again for Mumia Abu Jamal with her organization, the. Joe Joseph Foundation. Now, uh, this this family is very proud of her for all of that, and uh, they're they're here to celebrate her. Uh, they're they're all having this meal together and and kind of moving moving through the night around that. But eventually, a call comes in for Leo. Leo again, the oldest the oldest son of this family. He steps out um, and takes the call. Comes back into the room, notably uh, kind of distraught. Um, and then we move to the next scene where he and Ben, so the two brothers, are having this conversation, and it becomes clear that a book is about to come out. It's a book uh, that kind of documents the Soviet era in America, and their father um, uh, is, appears in the book and is named as a, 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 a spy for the Soviet Union, um, that he passed information along to the Soviet Union uh, from the U.S. government. It doesn't really specify exactly in the scope of the play exactly what he passed along, but uh, that that. That it claims that he was in fact a spy, and and it becomes clear that Ben and uh, Leo both believe that this is true to some degree, and have kind of kept it hidden for a while. They don't they don't have a lot of information because Joe didn't really tell them a whole lot of information about it, um, but they they're pretty sure that it's true. And this has pretty profound impacts on Emma and her foundation, which is named after Joe Joseph. So that's the kind of big event of the play is this family discovering that they're about to be outed by a kind of right wing author. Um, uh, they are still a part of kind of uh, kind of left wing liberal politics in New York. And even I would think even Ben, especially Ben, would still call himself a member to some degree of the communist uh, idea or uh, uh, some sort of. Uh, yeah, he he's like upfront about being a Marxist throughout the course of the play. And actually, yeah. Emma is, too, to some degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the but the the kind of crux of the issue of this is not it's not really a play about them being ashamed about uh, Joe Joseph's um, uh, communist alignment. It's the fact that Joe Joseph gave a testimony back in the day in court around the era of McCarthyism. He was called in. He took the fifth on a lot of stuff. Um, he he stayed silent, never named any names, but he ended up. If if the claims against his espionage are true, he ended up perjuring himself in court, um, and uh, he and uh, the what whatever whatever the communist uh, party was doing in America at the time, this family, um, while aligned with the beliefs. Weren't really aligned with the idea that he was selling secrets of America to the Soviet Union. So that is kind of the the damning evidence that Emma has to combat in this play. And that kind of sends the family on a bit of a tailspin because... Um, Ben hasn't told Emma this. There's the, the kind of the following scene is the next day. Ben and Leo sit down with Emma and tell her about this. And she's, uh, again, 28, running a foundation all the way out of law school. And this is the first time she's hearing about this. She is kind of uh, justifiably upset um, and uh, does her best to try to uh, manage the situation, but um, leaves the conversation pretty quickly uh, between Ben and Leo and says, I'm done talking about this um, and, and leaves the conversation. 
This has ripple effects throughout her organization. Uh, a couple other of the through lines that are coming into this play, she is regularly having meetings with a kind of a, a, a funding whale, uh, Morty, who is a, a sympathizer to uh, the work that the Joe Joseph Foundation is doing um, and is, is wanting to make a pretty sizable donation. Eventually, it becomes clear that he wants to leave his entire fortune to the uh, Joe Joseph Foundation and the work that Emma is doing. So he frequently is coming into scenes. She's having dinner with him. Um, she, the early scene with him is uh, him offering a sizable amount of money to to her um, and her kind of holding the knowledge of of this book that's coming out and not telling him about it. Um, the other scenes uh, that come through is uh, Emma is dating Miguel, and Miguel is uh, 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 working working for her in the foundation, um, and they are both working on this case uh, to try to get uh, Mumia Abu Jamal a, a, a more fair trial. And uh, so in the middle of them trying to do this work, build money to make this case, build the foundation to, to, to try to do good work in the world, Emma is trying to figure out this PR nightmare for her, and it ends up eating up a lot of her energy as she eventually kind of cuts out her father from interaction um, because of how much it, it, it hurt to be kind of blindsided by this. Um, the other piece that that weaves its way through is her older sister, Jess, who um, has just gotten out of rehab for an addiction. Um, and it becomes clear in their conversation, Emma goes to her and tries to tell her a, a, a big portion of this play is who gets told what when. Um, so uh, Emma goes and tries to tell Jess about the fact that their grandfather was likely a spy. And uh, Jess says, actually, I already knew. Sorry, that was like five years ago that dad told me. So again, it's piled on. All throughout the play, um, uh, Ben is calling and leaving messages on this answering machine for Emma to try to try to, uh, to answer. Um, and he's leaving progressively longer messages. Eventually, one turns into a rant about why it's so important for uh, for uh, her to be appreciative of the work that her grandfather did, and not to the, not to rename the foundation, which is a big if at, throughout the play. Whether Emma will rename the foundation, basically do some PR judo, and kind of uh, deny her her uh, her grandfather's work, or at least um, not deny it, but at least kind of backpedal from it and save the foundation by taking his name off of it. The play continues and it just kind of becomes even more and more snarled. You have a kind of final conversation with uh, Morty and Emma um, uh, where where Morty, Emma, Emma is clear that she's just about ready to back out of this thing and Morty uh, kind of convinces her at least to sort of hang on a little bit longer while admitting some of his own guilt around like, yeah, I knew that, you know, almost everyone was a spy back then and I still didn't help any of my close friends even though I sympathize with them. I didn't help them out of these tough places. So really, my Money is still belong like I'm still happy to donate to this cause, but you got to be in it. Um, Emma continues to grapple with her responsibility um, uh, with this information. It strains her relationship with Miguel to the point that uh, Miguel notices she's not um, kind of attending to the case that they're trying to work. Um, and uh, begins to wonder if if this is the way that she responds to something like this, if they can be dating at all. By the end of the play, he says that we, they should go on a break, and they they apparently do. Um, finally, um, the uh, the uh, Ben and uh, Emma and Leo, or sorry, Ben and Mel and. Leo and Jess all meet together. And this is mostly a result of a call that Mel makes to Emma, where she acknowledges both the uh, nobility of what Emma's going through and the cruelty of how she's taking it out on her father um, and gets her to come to a meeting with Ben. And they kind of hash it out. And uh, you kind of see the dynamics of this family. Uh, uh, Emma brings a list of, of 10 things to talk about. And Ben correspondingly pulls out a list of responses that he was <laughs> intending to make. Um, and they have this conversation where at least they begin talking again, but the tension is not uh, tension is uh, resolved, at least diffused, um, but there's still the knowledge that Emma is going to make a call that probably Ben will not agree with. And that, in fact, does happen. In fact, Emma makes a call that many in the family don't agree with. Um, she decides to... Uh, kind of step back. Uh, she, she writes a letter to all the donors where it's clear that they're free to back out if the revelation of uh, Joe Joseph's uh, espionage uh, makes, their, <laughs> makes their monetary donations 
not not a good thing for them, and that someone will uh, back up and be able to cover all of those backed out donations, even if they do. And it's pretty clear that Morty is the person who's going to be the the, the backstop for it. So she says that she's not going to rename the foundation. That uh, while there are some things about the the work of uh, Joe Joseph that she does not agree with, that do not align with the country, that he still had a lot of great things that he did. Um, and, uh, and she is, she is going to keep the name the way it is. However, she would be stepping away from the executive role. She makes her, uh, boyfriend who is now on a break, um, Miguel, uh, the, the kind of CEO executive officer of it. She is still a board member. Um, but she, uh, believes from her integrity that she has to step away. We find this out by way of her going to her grandmother, Vera, and kind of reading this letter that she's writing to all the donors of the foundation. Um, and uh, she, she's, uh, Vera tries to weigh in um, and discovers that there's nothing to weigh in about. Emma's already sent the letter. She just wanted to tell Vera what, what was going to go down. Um, the, the play ends on a, on a kind of, uh, 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 I, don't, I, don't, I don't know, I, don't, I feel like any word I throw in here is a little bit of a judgment. The play ends with a, with a, a difficult moment between a grandmother and a granddaughter where um, Emma has kind of taken this strong t- stance, made a choice, told her grandma about it, and her grandma says, I really disagree with what you did here. Um, I understand some of the reasons why you did it, um, but uh, it's, it's really too bad that you did. And that's kind of the last, the last beat of the play. The last scene of the play is this interaction between Emma having, uh, or or this this decision made by Emma having navigated through a, a, a large number of uh, both intricate uh, exterior relationships from the family that are affecting the family, and also pretty significant familial difficulties and relationships as she is trying to make a big decision for the foundation that she is running. That's kind of the, the 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 broad scope of the action of this play that and it's but it's like it's done with all these beautiful little familial interaction scenes. Some of them not so little. Some of them pretty significant long arguments and debates that this very political family has with each other. Yeah, th- thanks for that. This is a very complicated play to synopsize because of all of the political and familial context around it. Um, and so hopefully you stayed with us through that. It, it, I think there's generally sort of two sweeps to this play. The first is that Emma has this foundation, which is trying to do a really good thing in her mind. You can disagree with her on it because it's a real case, which I actually think is kind of strange for this play, but so be it, where she's trying to get Mumia Abu-Jamal a fair trial. Uh, and she has connected that with the uh, McCarthyism that her grandfather faced because he was a Marxist Jew. And that he was, you know, basically wasn't allowed to work because he wouldn't name names and all this. And she's connected those two things and her reputation on that. And then it is revealed that her grandfather was a spy for the Russians. And what's that going to mean for her political future, for the for her firm, for the fact that she's bound all this stuff up together? And what do they do now? So you have that sweep and then you have the sweep of and my if I'm Emma, my father lied to me about this my whole life. He knew he knew that his 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 father, my grandfather, was a spy and never told me. And in fact, when I decided to name this foundation after my grandfather and start this moment and build my reputation up around this thing, you were on the board. You knew he was a spy and you didn't tell me. And that's a huge breach of trust. So you have this sort of family falling apart and the sort of professional uh, political world for Emma falling apart. And it, it all kind of crumbles for her at the same time. Yeah, yeah. So it all, yeah, it all arrives at the same time. And also just at such a catalyst moment. You just graduated. You have this big case that you're working on. Your whole yeah. family's there. <laughs> and then this like bombshell drops. And it doesn't seem to be like um, direct, like it doesn't, I, I don't get the sense that someone uh, is writing this book to specifically attack Emma. It's like a 400 page book and two pages are about Joe Joseph. It's just like, man, <laughs> why, why are all these things happening at once for me? This, this sucks. Um, and, and so she's kind of forced into making these decisions. And I think I, I, I feel like sometimes we, we kind of, uh, we 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 wonder around who is the protagonist in the play. I think Emma's our protagonist. She's certainly in the most scenes, goes on the biggest yeah. journey, makes the choices. 
Um, and there's also some really beautiful scenes from the other characters as well. I agree with your two main thrusts um, of the play, but also there's a lot of like generational processing happening from the other characters in the play, from the family. So Ben and Leo do a lot of their own processing around the way that they have kind of adhered to their father, thought so highly of their father, even though he was a fairly threatening figure to them sometimes, at least a quiet figure, um, but but interesting kind of deconstruction around like why that was, because he was afraid he was being spied on all the time. Um, you also have the... Um, and just to be clear, like, I mean, I know this is a fictional character, but he he actually was being spied on. I mean, this was during the McCarthy area, and he was a Marxist, so this is not like... He was a yeah. paranoid, delusional person. I mean, this was a this was a very dangerous time for them and their family. There was a good chance he was going to end up in jail. Uh, you know, so all of this stuff has really impacted Ben and Leo uh, in in their perception of the events of their life. Um, ben talks about how you know he told the other sister, but he told her on a trip that they took to Europe together after she yeah. was coming out of rehab one time. And he will say, somewhat self-deprecatingly, but also with a note of truth, "Well, I did tell her, but you know, it wasn't on American soil." And some yeah. of that comes from the way they were raised. They couldn't talk about things. Their phones were tapped. They were being actively spied on by the government. Yeah, yeah. So you get this. You get this like like real real noting of the fear that they're coming out of um and trying to live in this this other this 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 after the revolution right this this we've kind of and, and and there's there's more lines in the play about you lied to me that the revolution would ever come. That's one of the claims that Emma makes ab about Ben. So it's interesting to think about after the revolution in that way. But after the moment of McCarthyism, after the moment of, of the wiretapping, and after the moment of Joe Joseph's life, this family is trying to process what happened to them in that time period. Yeah, I, I will say that I actually don't quite know what to make of the title in context of the play. Yeah. Um I, I, I and I, I don't know, it's I don't know if it's the most interesting thing for us to talk about, but it <laughs> I, I'm not quite sure. I'd have to like really sit and ponder what to make of what the title says about the play. Because I'm not sure what revolution it's the title refers to. Um, they all talk about how the revolution is still coming. Is this a reference to like Emma's changing sense of herself in the world and her relationship to the revolution? Now that's after. I don't. I don't quite know. I. I it's a. It's an impactful title. It's memorable. But I. I don't know what it means about the story of the play. Yeah, yeah, I think it's, I mean, it definitely grounds it in, in a specific time, specific place, specific issue. Um, I, I, I'm also intrigued by the idea that it's somehow referring to Joe Joseph himself, that this whole family is after the grandfather um, and, and kind of what, like what he, he is did. the revolution? For, for this family. Um, uh, so, so, uh, the work that, uh, Emma is doing with the foundation, naming it after him, kind of grounding a lot of her credentials in him, um, and, and the, the level to which this family is willing to both fight for the memory of, of, uh, the grandfather and also, uh, uh adhere to some of his beliefs, um, even after he is, he is gone, um, it, it, it's an interesting, uh, interesting way to think about it because that's the thing that a lot of this is after, right? Like the, the action of the play is after the, the death of, of Joe Joseph. So it's, it's that, that, that's just another interesting sort of way to think about the title. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the, the, to me, the after part is the clear part and it's yeah. the revolution part that makes me raise my eyebrows a little bit. But I, I think that's an interesting analysis. I think to think about Joe Joseph as who he was such an important political figure in their lives to think about this play coming sort of after his passing and reinterpreting what his life meant to each of them. In fact, yeah. I, I want to share two quotes here, not from the play, but from a conversation around the play. Um, the first is from AZ, Amy Herzog and the second, Second is from a review from The New Yorker. Uh, Amy Herzog describes in an interview, my favorite plays that are not only my favorite plays are not only about history, but about the relationship between people so that the history does something to illuminate what's happening between the characters. 
And then um, John Lair, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing your name correctly. I'm sorry for that. L-A-H-R, John Lair of The New Yorker wrote uh, in one of the original reviews of the production that the play is about how we appropriate history for our own psychological needs. And I think that's a really important thing to understand about this play. Um, The play, weirdly, is somewhat... It's not quite autobiographical because it's not like the events of the play happened to Amy Herzog, but her family growing up were Marxists. In an interview, she describes how her family, like their Marxism was their sort of religion. So for those of you who grew up in a religious household, to think about how that impacted you in your childhood, and that's sort of how Amy Herzog thought about Marxism. And there was like a an expectation and a disappointment around, are you going to believe the same things that I believe and all of this stuff? And so out of that livelihood came this play. But I think it's important in understanding the play to understand that the way that the characters reinterpret and negotiate the history of Joe Joseph is about what's happening between them now and not about trying to figure out what happened then. Because this yeah. is just a fictional scenario. I mean, it may have happened in some situation to somebody, but for the purposes of the play, we're not trying to, as the audience, decide for ourselves what Joe Joseph is guilty of or not guilty of. And in fact, nobody ever really agrees across the course of the play. Everybody's kind of got their own perspective and those perspectives don't really change. Now, the relationships change very significantly. And that is the part that I think we follow and that we become emotionally invested in. Yeah, yeah. It's like it's simultaneously uh, like kind of uh, uh, a, a play about a specific historic moment, a historical play, kind of like a, a Tom Stoppard rock and roll or something like that. And like a, a, a painting churches by Tina Howe or like like some sort of family, August Osage County as well. Um, so so you have these 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 play like the two genre of plays kind of brought together in in this of like very historical, very grounded in history, very real um, uh, based in real real events. Um, and, and and also the the kind of uh, again, the, the catalyst or the operative piece of this is this family and and their their care for each other it's clear even even though that this is a moment you know two months or whatever of pretty significant conflict in the family the care of the family for each other never never is really in doubt um it's clear that everyone uh cares a great deal and and because they care a great deal they are hurt pretty significantly both by secrets and by uh even just boy boy so many of these scenes have uh these just side comments that that have very little to do with the, the the kind of main thrust of the play. But like the first scene, for instance, uh, has a sort of heartbreaking nature to it in that this family is talking back and forth, talking back and forth, and, and Grandma Vera is is hard of hearing. And basically like spends spends a good chunk of the scene just asking someone to help her hear what's going on. And they, for, for the most part, is kind of breezed past um, before until like someone notices, yells at someone, and gets the other person to come over there. Just a kind of consistent theme. And as a fun theme. side note, it uh, that appears in 4,000 Miles, too. But in yeah. 4,000 Miles, Vera has finally gotten hearing aids. And so when she has her hearing aids on and off is kind of a fun theatrical feature of that play. Um, but this is like the earlier version of that where she's just struggling to hear. Yeah, yeah, and that that, that kind of continues to come up uh, throughout the play. So many of these, like, like no one is intending to hurt each other, and yet they hurt each other. Jess's story is another wild one that kind of like just is is kind of floats through, not, like not floats through, is is brought into this this uh, conflict and adds a whole other texture of of both the the care and the. Um, the uh, I guess lack of care. I'm, that's not that's not a super deep way to phrase that, but a care and a lack of care that this family has had for each other. Things that they miss in each other that that become clear in like side comments. The ways that things slip out. Uh, Emma has a number of lines about uh, Jess's addiction that stage directions say and characters react as like, oh, oops, I didn't mean to say that, and that hurt. Ouch. Yeah, there's two, I think, pretty good examples of, of, of many, I guess, but two that we'll talk about, I think, in, in terms of um, 
how the characters' relationships change because of what is happening in terms of their under this book coming out and their understanding between each other. Um, one of them is between Ben and Emma, right? Ben, Emma's father. Um, they're, they're, uh, because of Emma's feeling like he lied to her and he's put her in this really terrible position and she's really hurt by that, she stops taking his phone calls and across the course of the play, he leaves a number of voicemails. I really love voicemails as a theatrical device because it's a way to have a conversation because you know someone's going to listen to it. So it's, it is talking to someone one, but it's talking uninterrupted. I think it's a nice sort of modern take on sort of Shakespearean soliloquies. And then this play uses voicemails really effectively. Um, but in a number of the voicemails, Ben says like, you know, this is something we would normally talk about. Apparently he and Emma are very close and they talk on the phone often before the action of the play. And we see that divide there now. Um, and that relationship has significantly changed. And I think we follow that and we're emotionally invested in that. And, and how is there going to be healing? Is there? And then when they finally have their reconciliation scene, I think you described this in the synopsis, they make their apologies. They decide they've forgiven each other, but the relationship is changed. Emma says, I've made a decision about the foundation moving forward, but she does not tell him what that decision is. And you get the sense that's something they would have talked about and decided together previously to the action of the play. And now the action is cut out. Something has irretrievably changed for the course of that relationship. I also think there's an interesting moment, too. You've described that there are some nice scenes between Ben and Leo. Um, one good example of that is later in the play, uh, Ben and Leo are together for one reason or another, and Leo says, I'm going to see my son play baseball. My son loves it when you come. You cheer these sort of big, obnoxious cheers. It makes him feel really good. Can you come watch him play? And because Ben and Leo disagree on what this thing in the book means, for their father's legacy, how they should approach it, how they're handling each other, and how Leo has supported Emma differently than Ben. Because of the family tensions, the things going on between them as a result of this historical news, uh, Ben says, I'm not, I'm, I'm not coming to the game. And so that's maybe a smaller example, but you get the sense that this is something Ben does as he goes and watches his nephew play baseball and makes a fool of himself. And it's part of the family life. And now that has changed. And those are the things I think you start to feel the pain of across the course of the play. And, and you know, what what is the result of this pain coming? Is it that uh, ben lied? Is it that the sort of heroism that Emma held for her grandfather has changed significantly? Um, I mean, I, some of it's just that it, that it's it's all of that. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think, I think that's that's super true. That the the just just this this kind of bombshell revelation and the way that it was delivered has changed things. It's somewhat irrevocably, and not all of it means like complete lack of connection. Though some of it does. The other relationship that changes changes pretty significantly is Emma and Miguel's relationship, which seems to be moving towards. Um, not happening. <laughs> um, now they'll, yes. they'll continue to continue to likely work together because now Miguel is in charge of the foundation. She's a board member. Um, but but yeah, you you get the sense that this this revelation has irrevocably changed um, uh, changed things in this family's life. Um, now what now whether it, it, they recover, we don't really get to know. We we get to know that they've they've connected again. But yeah, I, I love that you brought up the scene uh, where where Ben is like uh, going to go to to the game because you get this broader sense that Ben has been the life of this family um, for quite a while. This kind of like this person who goes and yells at, at his kids games um, uh, or not as at his, at his, at his nephew's games. Um, he, he has a number of comments for, for Leo about how, uh, Leo hasn't been all that great of a dad. Leo has some self-reflective comments about how he wishes he had instilled more values into his kids. Um, and they, they seem to just be, to not really care about what the family does. So you, you, you do wonder is, is there going to be some sort of ripple effect for this family? What's the rebuild up? Um, there's, there's lots of that kind of great poignant wondering to, to be done after this play. And some of it too, I think is, is discovering how, the family all understands 
the story of their family, this history, in a different way. I mean, some of what happens is that prior to the action of the play, Emma has told this story of her grandfather, and it's an inspiring story to her. It's a story about injustice to her. It's a story about a hero to her. And what the play does is muddy up that story and ask us to consider that even an inspiring heroic story, everybody understands differently. And as that reviewer for The New Yorker, John Lair, says, how everybody appropriates that story differently. I think there's not a better example of that than Morty, weirdly. Now, Morty's not a member of the family, but you described in the synopsis this really moving scene where Morty describes how he he knew Joe Joseph during the era of McCarthyism and how Morty feels regret over distancing himself from people who were being called to testify and how he was glad there's a, it's a very moving line he was glad he never got called to testify because he fears he probably would have named names right that's that phrase from american history naming names and you sort of see that the way that reviewer has talked about this play in this non-family member that intrudes into two scenes because morty has incorporated this fund to get mumia abu jamal out of uh you know an unjust prison sentence or, or an unfair trial for his own interpreting of his own yeah. personal history. And, uh, you know, nothing being ever... The way that we use our histories and the stories of our friends and neighbors to understand ourselves and our choices now. And then the play says, but it's it's not clean. It's not... It's not black and white. What happens if you have to deal with the grayness? What happens if the story you've told yourself about who you are is based on the story of who somebody else is, and then you discover that that person is not who you thought they were? And I I also don't think that Amy's saying, like, in particular, Joe Joseph was a complicated figure because Joe Joseph's nobody we ever meet. I wonder if somewhat she's saying is like, None of your family members are who you think they are in the context of your own story. Nobody from history is just who you think they are in context of your own story. Mm, yeah, yeah, and and kind of wondering around, wondering around what they're actually like when you're when they're not there. There's an interesting, like I like Morty as the the kind of centerpiece of that because Morty could have a whole play written about his family because he's about to give all of his money away to this foundation <laughs> as a result of the relationships that he had back in the era of McCarthyism. We know he has like three or four kids out there, one of whom he says is not doing all that well. Um, so, so you have, you have these, these, yeah, the wonderings of, yeah, what, what, what happens or what, what beliefs drive the people that I am close to that I don't know about. Um, and, and when, when to find out about those things, when, when do I get to find out about those things? That's certainly Emma's question and frustration is that she found out so late about them and, and the kind of wondering around what that means for the relationship going forward. I also think that one of the things that happens in the play is, how should I describe this? I, 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 I have a sort of loosely formulated thought, which is that the play is not so much like one of the things about this play is that Emma thought her grandfather was a hero and she discovers that he was a spy, which muddies up her image of him as a hero. Right. But I think it's also equally or perhaps even more true that Emma thought her dad was a hero. Hmm. And the fact that he lied to her muddies up her perception of her father and that that's a more interesting track for the story. There's a very subtle line in the second scene of the play, which I just think is so crucial to the script. The second scene is Emma and, or I guess this might be the third scene, technically Emma and Miguel um, are together. And Miguel of course is Emma's boyfriend and they're just described, they're discussing the work that they're doing and they're discussing the fact that Miguel did not go meet her family. And there's a lot of reasons why there's some funny lines in there about, it. But one of the reasons why Emma says is that she's nervous for Miguel to meet her dad. This is the quote. If you didn't absolutely love him, that would be tough on me. If you didn't absolutely love him, that would be tough on me. So she's nervous for Miguel to meet her father because she desires for that to go so well 
and she's worried that it won't go quite as well. She idolizes her father, her parent, in a, in a way that impacts her life. So just like she tells a story about her grandfather that's part of how she thinks about herself, Emma also tells a story to herself about her father that is part of what how she thinks about who she is. And when that gets muddied up because of the spy accusation about her grandfather, I think perhaps the more important thing is that her dad lied to her. Her dad let her get in this position with her fund. I mean, he should have told her five years ago that the person she was naming her fund after wrapping up millions of dollars in was going to be revealed to be a Russian spy. And so the heroism is maybe more interestingly between Emma and Ben than between Emma and Joe Joseph, a character we never meet. And and pretty interestingly, that that is pretty well corroborated in the last scene that they touch base again, um, because you get Ben's side of that story where uh, Emma came to came to him when the foundation was starting um, and asked him to be the board member, a board member and specifically the first board member. She was his first. He was her first ask. Um, and uh, and the, the kind of. Uh, 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 what's the right word? The, the the glory that he felt in that his daughter was both ascribing to his ideas and asking him to be a part of what she was doing um, kind of pushed him into this, or at least it's one of the reasons why he get that he gives why he didn't tell her because that that moment that he felt like a hero in some way. Um, and, and, and you it's, get, it's, What's really cool about that, because what you're describing is he he says, I'm not making excuses, but here are the reasons. And he gives some reasons why he made this decision that she does not agree with and that hurt her. And to me, that is such a close echo of the scene in which they talk about the reasons, not the excuses. And there's a couple of scenes where different characters do this, but the reasons why Joe Joseph may have passed government secrets on to the Russians. There are reasons why they, ex they explain why a person may made a decision that someone else does not agree with. And they have to do with the hard reality of like a true context, right? When we look back at history, we look back at these little threads and narratives and oftentimes they're without context. And so you have to make somebody black and white, a hero or a villain. And then if you spend any time studying history at all, you learn that there's like it's it's never like that. Of course it's not, right? right? There are there's a whole context that just muddies up the waters and you can say, "Well, you made this decision that I don't agree with, dad, and, and that hurt me." And at the same time, I can understand the reasons for that decision. We can say you probably shouldn't have spied for the Russian government, but at the same time, you other characters provide compelling reasons why that happened. Now, that doesn't mean we have to agree with the decision, but we understand the reasons, and that just makes it more complicated and more hard. This play is full of all of those sorts of kind of complex knots of things that that like lead lead these characters to where they're going, lead these characters in into moments of conflict and past them, and lead to great conversations about <laughs> the, the all all the different facets of this play. We are coming to the end of our time for this podcast, but we'd love to keep talking about after the revolution with all of you. It's a play that is kind of made to do that to have great conversations about it. After afterwards. Yeah, absolutely. Um, we, we would love to keep talking about this play. We want to hear from you. We've had some great conversations recently on our Gmail, so you can email us there. Um, also in the comment sections on any of our social medias. Yes, all the social medias have the username at NoScriptPodcast. We also have the Gmail, NoScriptPodcast at gmail.com. Find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep talking about this play with you, and we'd love to facilitate a broader conversation around this play on the social medias with each other um, about After the Revolution by Amy Herzog. So find us on any of those sites. We'd love to keep chatting about it. Absolutely. If you like this episode or any of our other episodes, you can follow us on Podbean, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or YouTube. We also post a link to the new episode every Monday on Facebook. So for the less technologically savvy folks in your life, you can send them. If they just like us on Facebook, the new post should appear in our feed. And then, of course, the way that Facebook works, if you click it enough, it'll just start appearing on your feed every Monday. Um, so re recommend us, please, to your family, to your friends, anybody you know that likes scripts and stories, these kinds of in-depth conversations about themes and the way things are written and constructed. 
think they'd like the episode. However, just for everybody to note, we are very close to the end of season nine, which means there is a break coming in our no script scheduling. Only a couple more episodes, and then we will take our regular between seasons break and be back with season 10 in the new year. Yeah, early in 2023, we'll be coming back and talking about theater's best scripts again. But don't worry, we got two episodes left, so you can plan your shopping around listening to us in the car. So until then, <laughs> when, next week when we're talking about another script, I'm Jackson Nikolai. I'm Jacob Mann Christensen. Thanks for joining us for No Script, the podcast.